0: I would be honored if you play football for this team. Me, play football? Yes. Thanks, but no thanks, Coach. My mama won't let me play no football. We're gonna go home. You and I. We're gonna talk to mama. Oh, right. oh, oh ma- mama said. Ma- Brandy, mama said. My ma- mama said. Mama said that. My ma- ma- Mama said that. My ma- My ma- mama said that. Ma- ma- that. She couldn't ma- yes. ma- ma- <laughs> Top <laughs> one
1: oh, thousand. To oh, to
0: song, One oh, song. Oh, round.
2: Round. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I cannot believe it has taken this long to get back on the podcast, but, you know, you just walked in on me and Randy having a discussion. He wanted to play, well, I wanted him to play football, um, but he, he, you know, he's reticent, as they say. Um, no, actually, I've been looking for Randy for a couple of weeks now, and, it, you know, he was he was out there trying out for teams, you know, and you know, uh, nobody, nobody west of Florida wants him to play. So um, he's he's back now, and we are on season two, episode seven, probably the longest time between episodes I've ever taken. Uh, and the last episode, I have to apologize. I don't know what happened. The the voice thing slowed down. Um, I don't know what's going on. In fact i probably better check the voice thing now and it appears to be fine but uh i don't know there's some the thing is red i don't know <laughs> i don't like it when the when the little thingy's red and of course thingy is a technical term for thingy all right well <laughs> let's let's get into it uh everybody thank you for listening following and sharing please rate the show five stars uh you, you know, you could buy some ad time on local radio, but I would rather you just give this show a five-star rating. If you haven't done so, please do. Please uh, get on the phone, like they used to say on wrestling, get on the phone and call somebody. You know, call somebody up and tell them, hey, have you rated this show five stars yet? Because uh, it needs it, okay? Um And if you know anybody who likes this kind of thing, you know they like music uh, analysis. I guess that's what we do here. Uh, You know, we talk a little pop culture. We talk about a little bit of everything. Uh, So if they like that, then uh, tell them to give us a listen. All right, we are available on iHeartRadio and uh, Google Podcast and uh, iTunes or i whatever the Apple Podcast app is. We're on there as well as spotify that's kind of the flagship that's where you're going to find the you know the questions polls and things like that and uh if you if you want to really dig deep into what we're doing go back and listen to season one episode 15 explain what we're doing we are trying to create the ultimate playlist of a thousand songs with no skips and it's a process and we're in the middle of it we're in season two of probably four seasons of this process in fact it's you know uh gonna take multiple seasons beyond that to because it's an ongoing process you know your your playlist your playlist is going to change okay but there's certain songs that are probably going to stay on there you know forever and uh and so that's kind of what we're talking about here um. All right. Let's. I don't have any news for today. Um. You know. There's news out there. Uh, music news. Um. But I'm. I'm gonna re- focus on my recommends. Football season is starting. Uh. I've been. You know. Uh. Pretty much focused on that. I'm. Even though I'm not coaching. I'm still. I'm still. Uh. Doing the announcements for the. You know. Friday night ga- The home games. Um, I will be going to some away games, uh, especially the, coming up this week. I'll be at be at the first uh, first game, the high school game, the team I used to coach. I'll be at their first away game because it's only a few minutes from my house, um, so that'll be fun. Uh, so most of these recommends or these reviews that I'm gonna do are, are football related. But the first one, um, I saw it. I think it was on uh, either Apple TV or Hulu. I forget which one, but. Um, it was the Beanie Bubble, and it's the story of how Beanie Babies, you know, became this huge thing in the 90s. And uh, it's an entertaining, I do recommend it, it's an entertaining look at how something as mundane as a stuffed toy could change how we look at commerce, because that's kind of what it did. It it gave us these uh, uh, the concept of, uh, you know, like... Uh, uh, what do they call it? I'm a Nikon teacher. I should know this. Uh, Manufactured demand, you know, uh, they, by making these little Beanie Babies limited editions and making them rare, uh, they, they, they changed the the demand curve for those things. Even though there was really nothing, you know, classically economic about the demand for these things. Um, And it, it, it gave uh, eBay something to, you know, Gave eBay a foothold, basically. Basically made eBay a thing. Um, Zach Galifianakis, that's a fun name to say, is perfectly cast as uh, CEO Ty uh, Ty Warner, the CEO of, uh, I guess, Ty Inc. was the name of the company. Um, He's creepy and he's greedy, so Zach Galifianakis does that perfectly. Uh, The rest of the characters are all composites of real people. Um, none of the other characters use their real names, um, but they're you know they're int- interesting. How you know the, uh, the the young woman who basically created e-commerce, putting the be- you know the mini babies on. Well, she didn't put them on eBay. People were putting them on there, but she she figured out a way of harnessing that and making it making it work for the company. Um, you know, I mean, if the movie is uh, accurate, they were only paying her like you know 12 bucks an hour and she was making the millions of dollars so she went on to you know to be successful on her own right but uh you know that's that's just the kind of thing you know that that uh um uh, you know makes you look askew at these at these CEOs you hear these kind of stories all the time you know and that well one of the one of the big music news items that came up uh, in the last couple of weeks was uh, a young man in um, I don't know what state he's in Tennessee Kentucky somewhere um, but he wrote a song called rich men north of Richmond and boy it's a uh, it's causing a a cultural civil war right now um, but you know that's that's kind of the sentiment in that song you know the song is all about how how rich you know people and, and powerful people are uh, you know, keeping people down you know and it's not a it's not a left wing right wing kind of thing it's in fact a lot of a lot of people that are uh, that are criticizing the young man his name is oliver anthony if you haven't heard the song rich men north of richmond go go check it out it's on spotify in fact it's the number one song i think on on all the music streaming services right now um but uh you know he's being criticized for being you know a right-wing dog whistle and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, that, that song would have fit, you know, kind of perfectly in with the the Woody Guthrie, you know. I mean, there is some, you know, uh, you know, complaint about people being on welfare, but the complaint is, is I think, pretty, you know, in line with, with the people who invented the welfare system. They never in a million years expected it to, you know, uh, be abused the way some people do it okay they they wanted it to be a hand up not a hand out so you know that's kind of what he's singing about and that's what you know that's what country singers have been singing about forever and uh so anyway that but anyway that that's that's kind of the thing he was talking about is like uh, CEOs like Ty Warner are out there you know getting you know crazy rich off of of people who are you know just going to work and doing their thing and they're really good at it they should be rewarded and yet somehow they don't get it, so uh all right so i do recommend beanie bubble i recommend uh and bubble the the whole bubble concept you know you know the beanie babies you know became worthless at some point you know that's that's the thing that ma- made it most interesting to me because i'm really really interested in you know, the whole bubble uh phenomenon um I do recommend hard knocks We're only uh, one r- episode into the new season. this is season 17 seems like it's been going longer than that. Maybe they they skip some years but um, anyway, it's already doing what it does best. It's building up hope for a hapless team. this this time it's the New York Jets uh, you know so one would think that the typical letdown is gonna come but wait. This time they have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, Captain Comeback, the High Priest of Hail Marys, the Ayahuasca Air Raid. And their rookies are hungry, so watch out for the JETS. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. All right, now on to the big one. This is this is the big not recommend and it's it's uh part of the uh this the big story of the week in football. All right. Really doesn't have anything to do with anyone playing currently. It's got to do with um michael orr and the blind side okay it's it's falling off my recommend list all right it shouldn't have been on there in the first place all right for reasons you'll see obvious it looks like disney's 300 million dollar touchdown has been called back for illegal procedure at least there's going to be a replay challenge michael orr the subject of the movie is alleging fraud on behalf of his supposedly adopted family sean and leanne tooey played ably in the movie by Tim McGraw and Sandra Bullock. The Toohey's are defending themselves by pointing out that they never said they adopted him. And this might be a case of Gridiron Mandela effect, because I read the Michael Lewis book before I saw the movie, so I was under the impression that they had adopted him and put them in in their will. Uh, The movie seems to back that up with the dining room scene where they asked Orr to join their family. Either way, Orr has every reason in the world to hate the movie. For one, they tricked him into going to Ole Miss. That's probably a capital crime in the hail state of Mississippi. I have to check my 2022 Egg Bowl box score and get back to you on that. But for another thing, as many have already pointed out, Michael Orr was well on his way to becoming a D1 All-American before the Ole Miss booster Memphis Mafia got a hold of him. The movie makes him look like he had no idea what a football was. I would think the Tuies wouldn't want a beloved member of their family looking like an idiot for the whole world to see, especially if they weren't going to let him have all the money. All right, that'll do it for that. Let's get to our song notes. you love me, let me know. The uh, 23rd track on Elvis's eighth and final live album, Elvis in Concert, 1975. The uh, song and the... Well, there's two albums that this song is on. Both of them will go top five. One will go to number five, and one will go to number three. The song was written by John Rostil for Olivia Newton-John in her 1974 album, If You Love Me, Let Me Know. It's the second Rostel Olivia Newton-Johns single Elvis recorded after Let Me Be There. Elvis recorded his version live in concert on April 26, 1977, less than four months before his death. The song will also be included on Elvis' last studio album, Moody Blue, just a few weeks before he died. Sudden and Steel by Iron Maiden, the eighth track on their fourth studio album, Peace of Mind. The album will go to number 14 in 1983. Recording in the Bahamas and mixed in New York City, the first album to feature drummer Nico McBrain, who has been the Iron Maiden drummer ever since. The lyrics are inspired by the legendary Japanese samurai Miyamoto Masushi. Considered by some to have been the greatest swordsman who ever lived. No like
0: oh.
2: Jack and Diane, the fifth track on... I'm sorry, the second track on John Mellencamp's fifth studio album, American Fool, 1982. Both the album and the single will go to number one. On recording the song, Mellencamp said, It was a terrible record to make. When I play it on guitar by myself, it sounds great. But I could never get the band to play along with me. That's why the arrangement's so weird, stopping and starting. It's not very musical. Mellencamp has also stated that the clapping was used only to help keep time and was supposed to be removed in the final mix. However he chose to leave the clapping in once he realized that the song would not work without it. Drummer Kenny Aronoff credits his impro- improvised solo on the track with saving his career with mellencamp hands
0: say hey Diane they're off
2: We Will Rock You, the opening track on Queen's sixth studio album, News of the World, 1977. The album will go to number three and the single will go to number 52. Written by guitarist Brian May, other written by guitarist Brian May, other than the last 30 seconds, which contains a guitar solo by May, the song is generally set in an a cappella form, using only stomping and clapping as a rhythmic body percussion beat. Nineteen seventy seven, We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions were issued together as a worldwide top ten single. Soon after the album was released, many radio stations played the song consecutively played the songs consecutively without interruption. Fame, the final track on David Bowie's ninth studio album, Young Americans, 1975. The single will go to number one, the album will go to number nine. The song was a product of a collaboration with John Lennon, in which the former Beatles sang the word AIM over and over as Bowie played a guitar riff. Bowie changed the word to Fame, and he and Lennon finished the lyrics. Fame is a funk song that represents Bowie's and Lennon's dissatisfaction with the Troubles of fame and stardom, including money-grabbing managers, mindless adulation, unwanted honorages, and the hollow vacuity of the limousine lifestyle. It was a last-minute addition to the album, along with a cover of the Beatles' Across the Universe. Alright, okay, so... From there, let's go to no covers for old songs. And I'm really, I think for the foreseeable future, I'm just going to stick with maybe like one song and and the best covers of the song. Um, This one's a little weird because both of the songs that I'm going to use in the segment aren't actual covers. They are homages, I guess you would say. Because all the covers, uh, I picked Jack and Diane because all the covers were... You know, pretty you know, straightforward, and all the all the other covers of all the other songs, same thing. Um, but but there's a couple of country songs that are homages to it, and I guarantee you that you're gonna hate them. Okay, um, here's the first one that's by Kenny Chesney called "I Go Back." Let me get the volumes. <laughs> nope, don't nope, one.
0: Jack and Diane
2: painted a picture of my life and my dreams. Suddenly this crazy world made more sense to me. Okay, so you probably hate that, I would imagine. And This one you're going to hate even more. day it was years ago we were singing every word on the radio kind of like them songs save our souls okay yeah i'm sure you just probably threw up in your mouth a little bit i don't hate either one of them okay myself uh i part of my making peace my piece with country music is uh you know i don't really like a lot of i don't like the bro country thing and i imagine Jake Owen. I don't, I, I, don't know. I don't know what people's opinions are. I don't really care, um, but I do like some of Jacko, Jake Owen stuff. And I did have this song on my playlist at one point, and I did listen to it, and it doesn't bother me. I know, you know, especially if you know if you love Anthony Oliver or Oliver Anthony. I don't know which one's the first name, but in Richmond, North of Richmond, you can't possibly like, you know, Jake Owen or Kenny Chesney. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I don't know the rules. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, it, it to me it reminds me that song reminds me a little bit of uh what's his name? Uh Sean something. Back in the eighties or nineties he had that song rockabye You know, it reminds me a little bit of that and I kinda like that song and I know a lot of people hate that song too. Um, but uh anyway, I mean I, I you know, I <laughs> like I said, I made my piece with country music and I'm very charitable with my uh you know, my, my, my opinions. Okay. If that makes sense. All right. Well, let's get to the verdict. All right. I'm giving my number five to we will rock you by queen because it is the ultimate audience participation song. That's just as effective in a tiny living room with a dozen drunk idiots as it is in a football stadium combined with, we are the champions. It is the undisputed champion of sports anthems. My four goes to Jack and Diane, It be, would be a five on probably any other list. It is the prototype song for John Mellencamp's middle career. It has the echoes of hard rock and a heavy dose of folk. It's pure, perfect Americana. It's what Elton John was trying to do, but you have to be from Indiana to do it. The drums are iconic, and it's fitting that Kenny Aronoff's career belongs to this song. My three goes to Sun and Still by Iron Maiden. Steel by Iron Maiden. It gallops like Run to the Hills. It soars like Flight of Icarus. Um, buried not too deeply is the punk influence. There's a sneer to it. While it fires up your imagination with images of warriors of an undefined past. If you weren't familiar with the samurai history, the uh, chorus hooks you in like only a melodic new wave of British heavy metal song can. My two goes to the King, Elvis, if you love me, let me know. As much credit as Elvis gets as an originator, he doesn't get any credit for creating the sound of his late 60s and early 70s career. The the bass, drums, guitar, they all have as much room as they need. It's like the Eagles kicked Don Henley and Glenn Frey out of the band and Elvis agreed to hire them. Okay, that's how I see that one. And my number one, my my last place spot with only one point goes to Fame by David Bowie. It's a good funk song. Lots of little tricks to keep your attention. Um, the knock on it, I guess, would be it is a little bit repetitive. Okay, so our uh, short story today is the franchise part one read by Jeff Musgrave. And this is a story I wrote uh, gosh, a month ago. It's a two-parter, so you'll get the second part in episode seven, um, and it's a it's it's introducing some characters I think that are gonna gonna be with us for the duration. Um, and uh, you know, it's a it's a football story, but it's also a supernatural story. It's also kind of like got, got a little bit of the hu- superhero trope in it. Um, hope you enjoy it. And then after that. We have uh, a Metal Bird song. We haven't had them in a while. We got the final note by the Metal Birds. All right, that's it for me, you guys. My mind is clean. Have a good one. And here comes Jeff Musgrave.
1: The Franchise by Chris Naren. When you buy a pro football team, you buy its secrets, Ned Hunter, chief of security for the Las Vegas Conquest, said as he handed a folder to the team's new owner. This is the big one. Your number one draft pick may not be human. Jack Meshoba was the centerpiece of every team he had ever been on since T-Ball. Every team had a kid like that, so things went unnoticed. No one noticed, for instance, that Jack never went full speed. Everyone assumed he was just a little bit faster than the kid chasing him down the sideline, or that he jumped just a little bit higher than the kid trying to block his layup. He didn't hit home runs at every at bat and occasionally a kid would make contact with one of his fastballs. People did marvel at his toughness because as he got older and the competition got serious, opposing teams would blatantly try to injure him. Defenders on the gridiron would draw vicious roughing penalties on Jack the quarterback only to have him pop up unfazed. He could take a dozen big hits and remain accurate with the ball. Hacking him in basketball was just going to slow down the game. Pitchers could bean him all day long and only get blistered for their trouble. Jack's parents did notice, however, because the boy who should be covered in bumps and bruises after a violent game never had a single mark on him. So they took him to Dr. Joseph Cavefish on the Bogachita Reservation, who ran some tests. His results showed a genetic abnormality that caused rapid recovery from injury. Dr. Cavefish told Jack's parents that he believed Jack was an Ishtahulo, which was Choctaw for superior man. In his family's oral tradition, when the Choctaw people emerged from a passageway from the center of the earth called the Nane Chaha, one out of every thousand men was an Ishtahulo. They were the guardians of the people. It was believed a total of ten superior men emerged, and every thousand descendants of the original ten would produce new ones. Jack was the first new Ishtahulu since the beginning of time. Do you expect me to believe this? asked Braxton Green, enigmatic billionaire who had grown his father's medical implant fortune into a conglomerate unrivaled in size and consequence. Only a few people in his inner circle even knew of his love of football. He had never played, and he had only ever attended high school and college games incognito. He kept everything else close to the vest as well. No one knew his politics or personal life, so when he expressed interest in owning a team, the league fell all over itself to bring him aboard. I only expect you to be aware of the situation, Ned Hunter answered. Indian folklore aside, Jack Neshoba has a genetic abnormality. We had our own doctors confirm. If this information gets out, we have no idea how the league will react, much less how the public will. Hunter was professional and deliberate, which Braxton Green appreciated. Hunter continued, All quarterbacks get hurt at some point, so Neshoba will have to get hurt, or people will start asking questions. He doesn't have to have career-ending injuries, but we need to be careful to report the occasional high ankle sprain or rib injury, something common to QBs. Braxton Green knew the implications of lying about injuries. Football fandom was riddled with degenerate gamblers who lived, ate and breathed injury reports. If they got caught lying about an injury, his tenure as an owner would be short and even more infamous than that morons in DC. I want to meet with Jack and Dr. K. Fish. Green finally announced after a long pause. After meeting Jack and the doctor, Braxton Green called Ned Hunter, the head coach, And several members of the training staff into his office they signed non-disclosure agreements and were told what the owner and security chief knew until i hear back from dr kayfish we are going to build a narrative of invincibility around jack neshoba a screen appeared on the wall opposite green's desk laying out the plan sports writers were to be inundated with information about jack's training and diet The staff were directed to have jack do all the crazy functional strength nonsense they could come up with balancing on yoga balls with 130 pound barbells in each hand jumping up and down with 500 pounds on a trap bar with resistance bands pulling his knees forward anything that would severely injure a normal person jack's ability to do all these silly exercises would convince gullible journalists league officials and opposing organizations that the reason Jack Neshoba was impervious to injury was his next-level training. Why are we waiting to hear from Dr. Cavefish? Ned Hunter asked after the meeting adjourned. Braxton Green replied, He's going to find us a way to injure Jack Neshoba.